Hey, thanks for listening to The Church at 112, where we gather together to encourage and equip each other into a growing relationship with Jesus. Now, here's today's message. Figures of speech about God can be great, but not good if they're just in the hands of mere humans. Like, I love a good figure of speech. But if it's about God and it's only in our hands, then those fall flat every time. For example, you've probably heard it before. People say, the Trinity is like an egg. Have you ever heard that one? Like when people are trying to explain the concept of the Trinity, they're like, it's like an egg. There's the shell. And that would represent, you know, I don't know, God. And then the Father. And then there's the yoke and that's light and fluffy, and so that's the spirit, and then the, 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 the right in the middle, like that's, it falls flat. You've probably heard the Trinity uh, compared to water. Have you heard that one before? People say that, uh, well, the Trinity, like trying to understand it, this concept, right? They'll say, well, there's, there's the God that we can see, God the Son, and that's ice. Not that he's cold as ice, but you know, that's ice. And then, and then, but like if it melts, then that's, that's God and he's everywhere and he spreads everywhere. And then, and then the spirit, when it turns to steam, do you, do you hear, like, see how metaphors can fall flat? Like it can confuse people way more than it's intended to. But metaphors are really good things. Unless it's in our hands. Richard Dawkins, you ever heard of Richard Dawkins? Famous atheist. He says this. Quote, the sophisticated theologians are so drunk on metaphor, they don't really know what they believe. And I let that little phrase rattle in my brain. That here it is, we're trying to understand who God is, and so we, we boil him down to human standards, human concepts, ideas, and so sometimes our lives are so filled with these metaphors that we forget who this God is that we just sang about. That God, you are worthy. Well, why is he worthy? Because he's like an egg. Doesn't that not sound strange now? Thankfully, none of you from now on, when you look at eggs, I used those this week, by the way. None of you now, when you look at eggs, will be like, oh, God's like an egg. You won't ever say that again. You'll be like, God is worthy so much more than being an egg. Or water. I looked up odd metaphors for God in the Bible. Not, not in the Bible. There are some weird ones in the Bible. But I looked up like what people believe. There's st- statistics, by the way. There are scientific theologians. Like I feel like I've missed my calling. Like Those are my people because I'm, I'm a nerd and I like to dabble in that. But there's actually people, and that's their job, is they, they gather data on religion. And they surveyed like 2,392 Uh, college students about their concept of God. They're like, well, who is God? God is like... And they had to fill in the blank. They said God is a balloon. (laughs) Like, I wish I could have, like, read a story about why they thought God is a balloon. God is power. That's kind of neat because, like, you think... Like, we say He is um, omnipotent, which is all-powerful. That God's got all the power in the world. 
but we, we don't understand, understand that. So we just like, God is, God is power. Power. Wonder-working power, right? Um, they said, God is the bearded man in the sky. You've heard that one before, right? The, the bearded man in the sky or the, the, old, the old man in the sky or whatever. God is a journey. But when I, when I heard that one, immediately my next thought was, don't stop believing. So, so it's like, boy, our minds are just trapped in the 80s. I think that was an 80s song. The problem is, the problem is, we are finite. We are infinitesimal. We are so small, and our understanding is so limited. And so we try to trap this eternal God in Concepts we understand. So anytime we, we create a metaphor for God, we're missing the mark every time. It's not sufficient. It's not good. Only God can tell us who God is. Only God can tell you who He is. And He's reminding us in the book of John, seven times, He says, Jesus, the Son of God, says, I am this. Those are those moments where you're like, oh, let me write that down. Like in my Bible, because I, I, had, I have not memorized them, I finally wrote them at the top of the page wherever it is located, right? So last week was Jesus is the light of the world. No, last week was Jesus is the gate, the archway, the entryway. We talked about the arches, St. Louis Arch. I shared that with an old lady this week. She's like 90. And she said, I said, have y'all ever been to, seen any arches? She said, I've been to the St. Louis Arch. I'm like, I have too. What'd you think? Have y'all ever been to St. Louis Arch? We talked about this last week. It's like, it's small. Like you get in this, I was freaking out. This is like 2006 and I was doing internet research. And it's like, hey, the, the mechanism that you get in the elevator is a little bit wider than this. And I'm like, I'm going to get claustrophobic. What if it stops? Like there's like this massive staircase that we'll have to get down and we'll fall to the ground and I'll die. Like I was, this was going through my brain. And so I wrote at the top of my page, God is the gate for the sheep. John chapter 10, verse 7. I wrote down when Jesus, when he says, I'm the light of the world, John chapter 8, verse 12. And I wrote that at the top of my page. Whenever Jesus says, whenever God says, I am this, you write it down. So I wrote it down. You don't have to write your Bibles. Some of you are like, dude, I, I don't want to desecrate this. And I get it. But I wrote it down because I'm going to forget I will say this, when you've had like a grandma or grandpa or mom or dad who's, who's passed away and you get their Bible and it's tattered and worn and it's written in, I don't think they ever tell you like growing up like I'm writing in my Bible today. They don't tell you that. You usually hear from people, don't touch your Bible, right? Or don't, don't write in it. But man, what a treasure that is to see like what they've read and what they've experienced and what they've gone through. But Jesus tells us in the book of John seven different times in his terms, in terms that we can get who he is. Why? Because he is good. John chapter 10 tells us that understanding Jesus better helps us to understand him more. Like when we understand Jesus better, we understand him more. For example, if I can understand that Jesus is the light of the world, then when I, when, when, when I go throughout life, 
I understand like I can see things the way he wants me to see them because he is the light shining on everything that I see. He shows me how to see everything, how to see the world, how to see others, how to see myself. Jesus tells me these things. He shows me these things. So just to recap, John chapter 10 verses 1 through 7 last week. Jesus says, I am the gate, the entryway, and by trusting in him, we can have freedom. We can come in, we can go out, and guess what? This is good. This is good for you. This is good for me. To know that Jesus is our gateway. Verse 6, take a look at verse 6. John chapter 10, it says, Jesus gave them this figure of speech, but they didn't understand what he was telling them. Jesus uses figures of speech all the time. Why? Because he wants us to understand him more so that we can trust him more. So he'll tell us figures of speech. I can't wait till we start and we talk about Jesus where he says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Like I might even have a vine and some branches in here. We'll do some horticulture, right? We'll do some gardening. It'll be a good time. We might even have grape juice. Just kidding. Unless you want some and I can hook you up. All right. Jesus in this story, and this is the only one in all of John where he gives us two examples of who he is within the same story or context. The, the context is he's talking about the sheep and a shepherd and a, 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 a pastoral. You've heard that term before regarding sheep, pastoral? He gives us this example. You actually see the word shepherd used in verse 2 here, verse 11, again in verse 12, verse 14, and verse 16. And guess what he says? He says, verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for a sheep. Let's talk about that word shepherd for a moment. A shepherd is one who tends the herd. He herds the flock. Like literally, shepherd means sheep herder. Have you ever broke it down? Like it's pretty simple. Shepherd. I'm a sheep herder. Like I, I come up, like people are like, James, like how do you come up with all these creative things? Like when I was a youth pastor, we would do a trip for students and we would go away for a week. And so I, I called it a week away. And they're like, how'd you come up with that? I'm like, it just kind of came to me. I don't know. Jesus is like, hey, I'm a shepherd. What does that mean? I'm a sheep herder. The idea is that sheep are dumb. They need someone to tend them. We need, he, we need people. We need someone to watch over us. We're going to bump into things and eat the wrong stuff. Don't eat that mushroom. That came from the cow and it's crazy. Like The shepherd makes sure that everything's okay. They fight for us. They defend us. They protect us. A shepherd will love his sheep. A shepherd will comfort his sheep. I mean, you can go through the whole gamut of what a shepherd does. Mary, yesterday, she's not a shepherd. I mean, she is kind of in a way. All you ladies, we got something for you a little bit later. Uh, and by we, I mean like the, ch- the children's. But um, she was shepherding our dog, Abu. I wish I had a picture of him. Like, that would have been great to show you a picture. We call him Fat Boo. 
So like we inherited him, we got him from a lady, he already had a name, and his name is Abu, but we, it's easy to just call him Boo Boo. Do y'all have a dog and like you, you named him, but then like you, you have a nickname for him instead? But now he's gained a little bit of weight because he and I like ate a lot during the pandemic and we just, you know, whatever. And so we call him Fat Boo. But, man, we love this guy. He snores worse than I do, which is really hard to do. And <laughs> poor little fellow, like he's got like hair all over his eyes. So he can't see anymore. It's like a sheep dog, but he can't, you know, herd anything. Herd, you know what I mean. But like, so Mary, like a good shepherd, took him yesterday, wet some, she, he also has like gunk all in his eyes. So once she cut his bangs, dogs should not have bangs. Once she cut his bangs and he could see, she's like, whoa. And like there was gunk all in his eyes and like she, just lovingly, just trying to like make it to where he can see again. I know that's a silly example, but like that's what a shepherd does. He sees what our issues are. It could be a physical issue. It could be a spiritual issue, an emotional, mental issue, a relational, social issue. Jesus sees what that need is, and he brings us to him like a shepherd with his sheep. He's like, hey, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to help you out with this. I'm going to clear this up for you. Jesus, I can't see. I don't understand life. I'm going to be the light of the world for you. You're like, oh, I could use that. Jesus, I don't feel free. I feel shackled in this place where I am. I'm going to be your gateway. I'm going to be your gate for the sheep. Oh. Jesus, like, I need you. Like, and he's like, guess what? I'm going to be with you always. A shepherd cares for his sheep. And you could probably use a shepherd in your life right now. Am I right? We could all use a shepherd to help us with something going on right now. At home. At school. At work. In friendships. If you're me, then it's in your own mind. And you're like, I need you to work in my mind. And Jesus is like, I am your good shepherd and I will help you. You know, we we look to our parents to be shepherds, right? But but what if they're, they're bad? I know that sounds bad to say. What if they're, what if, what if worse? What if they're absent? They're gone. They've checked out. God's taken them already. The world's taken them. We look to our boss or our principal or our teacher, but like what happens when time is over? For you folks that are about to get done with school, and you're looking to your principal, you're looking to your teacher, and you're like, hey, I need you to kind of shepherd me. I look to you for advice. Summer's coming up, and you're not going to be able to text them. They'd be like, nope. Don't bother me. I'm just kidding. They're good. They're good people. But like, what if you look to your boss and like, then all of a sudden, like that, that relationship changes and your boss cuts out, he's gone or your position has changed in the organization, the company. We look to a counselor or a therapist. I'm married to one and I go to one, not her. I mean, I do go to her, but I don't pay her. She's my sugar mama. She pays for me. But what happens when the money runs out? You look to a therapist or counselor and God gave them minds to help us out. But what happens when your money and your insurance runs out? You know, I can't afford this anymore. Where's my shepherd? We all want someone to lovingly lead us, but we won't find that satisfactorily here on earth. 
I mean, we need people, don't get me wrong, and we need bosses, and we need teachers, and we need principals, and they're like, ah, I hate principals. We need all of these people above us to help us. But they can't ever be the end-all, be-all. We have got to have Jesus. And so when he says, I am the good shepherd, he's talking about, I am your shepherd. These other people are great, but man, I'm the one that's going to stick with you to the end. The shepherd, you know what's neat about shepherds? I went to Israel and they kind of, we were driving along a bunch of desert, okay? And a shepherd knows the environment. They know, like, this is a bad area. Don't go over here. They know the seasons of these areas. And so they know like, hey, in the fall, we're gonna, they're going to produce a little bit of grass over here. And that's going to work out. So we're going to come over here. Uh, in the winter, we're going to go over here. But like over here, sometimes in the winter, there's this thing you know, you got to watch out for. But when we come back in the summer, it's going to be a great spot because that stuff's going to be gone. Like they know the environment and the seasons and the shifts. They know the migratory patterns of all these other predators and animals that will probably try to come after these dumb sheep that's us and they will know that and the shepherd's like i know that i know that i know that i'm gonna watch out for you all of a sudden you parents and grandparents in here probably felt triggered because you're like that's me i know if my kids would just listen to me i know and jesus knows it all the more jesus is our shepherd he knows our innermost thoughts look at verse 11 again it says i am the good shepherd guess what verse 14 says verse 14 says i am the good shepherd Same exact phrase. I am the good shepherd. I know this. I know you. The Latin word there for shepherd is the word pastor. Now, the the Bible was written in Greek and Hebrew, primarily. And then there's some Aramaic. The Latin word for pastor didn't really come around for several more centuries. The term, though, has been used back in ancient cultures. The Egyptians, the Sumerians... The Babylonians, they all had this idea. It's like some of their gods were seen as rulers or shepherds. Some of the, uh, some of the um, ideas of being a pastor is to, to lead people or to lead sheep. It's an agricultural term. They, they think, they believe, because it it's from so long ago. They believe this idea of pastoring agriculturally. Speak, I say agriculturally, but you know what I mean. Like whatever it is with, with bovine and sheep sheep and all that kind of stuff the idea is they used to, and maybe it came from hunters gab hunters and gatherers who would go out and they would the deer are going to be over here at eight o'clock in the morning so this is where we need to go and then after a while they start to domesticate some of these animals they start to tend them and they start to herd them and they start to protect them because like hey this is our food or this is our comfort or this these are our clothes that we're going to make out of these whatever or this is our whatever food and so they start to tend them So pastor actually comes from the Latin word for pastere, which means to, to, to pastor, like to, to herd, to lead. One who tends sheep. I want to tell you that Jesus is our friend, but he is more. He's our pastor. I want to tell you that Jesus emphatically is our brother in Christ. In Christ Jesus is our brother, but even more, he's our pastor. He leads us, he tends us, he guides us. 
I want to tell you that emphatically Jesus is our rescuer. He is our Messiah. He is the one who has come and he has paid our penalty for, for our sin. And he gives us life and freedom. But even, even more than that, he's our pastor. He leads us beside still waters. He comforts us. And even when we go through the valley of the shadow of death, in our darkest moments, we fear no evil because Jesus is with us. In his rod and his staff, they comfort us. This shepherd, look at this in verse 11. What does he do? He lays down his life for the sheep. He He calls you his sheep. He liked it so much he put a ring on it. He's like, y'all, I'm going to put some metal in my hands and my feet so you know emphatically, and in my side, emphatically that you know that I love you so much that I would make a strong commitment to you, an eternal commitment to you. It's not something that can be taken away. Jesus did a once for all thing on the cross for us. It's kind of ironic. Uh, if you think about the commitment that Jesus made for us, it's kind of ironic because um, Jesus made a commitment to us, but what, what kind of commitment have you made to him? He follows through on his commitments, but what kind of commitments for him do we follow through on? No, I I promise not to eat chocolate for 40 days so I can focus more on you, Jesus. I did that once. I gave up chocolate to love Jesus more. Jesus, I believe you are the, the word, so I promise to read it on Sundays at least. At least on Sundays. I'll read, I'll read whatever's on the screen. Jesus, I tell everyone that prayer works, so I'll commit to pray at least at my meals and say thank you for my meal today. Can't you see that our commitments pale in comparison to the commitment that Jesus made to us to lay down his life so that we could live? James, that was really harsh. I don't normally speak that harsh, but it's because I... My commitments to him pale in comparison to what Jesus has done for me. And if I had to hear that from him, you do too. Verse 12. The hired hand, since he is not the shepherd and doesn't own the sheep, leaves them and runs away when he sees a wolf. The wolf then snatches and scatters them. This happens because he is a hired hand and doesn't care about the sheep. Okay. I did not like these verses because I'm the hired hand. Okay, like, huh? Like, I hate that verse. Okay, like, I love you guys. But like at at 10 o'clock at night, when I'm having AC issues, and like, you're like, James, I need you to come out to the hospital and come see me, or I'm having some emotional stuff. Man, I've got AC issues at my house I'm, I'm dealing with at the moment. And you've not seen these hands, but I don't know how to do this stuff. I'm a hired hand to preach to people. I'm not a hired hand to do swing a hammer. So when a wolf called my AC comes into play, 
I'm going to run away. I'm just going to be honest with you. But Jesus never will. Ever. Jesus says that he'll be with us always. So even when pastors fail you, and they will, I'm on like Christian Twitter, like not like there's an actual Christian Twitter out there, but like seems like my entire feed, and don't go on Twitter, like it's just garbage, but it seems like it's pastor after pastor that fail. And I'm, I'm tired of seeing it and hearing it and watching it unfold. Even when Sunday school teachers, I don't know if you grew up in the church or not, like even when some of you are probably here at C112 because like 40 years ago or 30 years ago, there was a Sunday school teacher that made you mad or hurt your feelings. And you're like, I'm not going back into church because they don't encourage me there. And so I'm grateful that you're here and I'm grateful that we can be a part of your healing. Because we are here together to encourage you, to equip you into a growing relationship with Jesus. That's what we do. But even when they fail you, guess what? Jesus won't. Ever. Verse 14. He models this. He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. He's like, I'll know you. I will pay attention to you. I will listen to the littlest concern that you have and also the biggest concern that you have. I'll pay attention to you just as the as Father God pays attention to me. I mean, look at that. It says, verse 15, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And again, he says, I lay down my life for the sheep. Just so that you know, God pays attention to me. I pay attention to you. He models for me and then I do this for you. Jesus' attention for you is not momentary. It's eternally uninterrupted. How does that make you feel? Ultimately, how we feel about that doesn't matter as much as the fact that Jesus is attentive to you. Why? The last little word I want to focus on, it's a word that has lingered in my soul since I first wrote on this topic in 2004. I can't math that. I think it's 19 years. Okay. But this word has rattled in my soul for the last almost two decades. It's the word good. Jesus is not just our shepherd. Although he is. Jesus is good. Like... We only know what bad is because it's the absence of good. We only know what good mor- we only know what bad morals are. Like I could ask them when I was on a on a trip, I had a by the way, if you ever want to have a serious talk, fellas, if you ever want to have a serious talk with another dude, you do it in the car. Nine times out of ten, they are not gonna hate it so much that they jump out. Okay? The tenth time, like, <laughs> like be careful. But like, hey, like, I wait like 10 minutes down the road where it, it, I, we don't need to turn back now. And then I get into whatever it is. So like, I had this fellow, we were going to a wrestling show. And, uh, and, and he was a, a fan. He still is a fan. And I knew, because his mama told me where he was spiritually, I knew where he was. I'm like, oh, we're going to have a conversation. He just don't know it yet. So we started talking about wrestling stuff. And then 10, minute, 10, 10 minutes in, 
I'm like, hey, dude, so uh, tell me what you think about God. He's like, man, I got hurt when I was a kid. Dad divorced mom. The church left us. It was bad. He's like, oh. He's like, uh, he's like, so I don't do the God thing anymore. Okay. He's like, I don't get on to people that do. He says, but I don't do the God thing anymore. I said, all right. And I said, um, do you believe in a moral absolute? Now, that's an apologetic technique, okay? But a moral absolute, it's a, um, it's a way to steer the conversation to talk about Jesus. It's really neat. And he says, uh, nah, man, like what's true for you might be true for you, but it's not for me. It's, it's relative to you. Called relativism. Moral relativism. It's like true for you. I said, okay. I said, well, what if like, I punch you in the face? Which this dude was a lot bigger than me and I've never thrown a punch, so I don't know. And he's like, well, that would hurt my feelings. I said, but would, that would be true for me that it's a good thing. Would that be not true for you? He said, yeah, I guess. I said, we have to have some sort of line somewhere where we can say this is good and this is not good. Jesus is that line for us. He is good. He is the definition of good. He is benevolent. He is all good. Not kind of good. Not 90% good. He is all good. And he, he can't be anything else but good. Because that would negate his good godness and so I sat on this word and I'm still on this word 20 years later thinking and, and, and I want to tell you that Jesus is good to us like he has he has all good intentions for us a plan and a purpose he loves us he shepherds us he leads us he's the light for us he gives us freedom he's loving he's caring he's Giving. He has your best interest at heart. He is likable. He is good to us and he's good for us. For example, in Luke chapter 6, Jesus talks about doing good things on the Sabbath. Now, the Sabbath for uh, Jewish people, they're like, we do not break Sabbath. There are rules. When I, when I was in Jerusalem, our hotel, like we were in our hotel on a Sabbath day. And some of you have heard this story before, like they are so in tune with rules and not working on the Sabbath, you can't even press buttons on an elevator on the Sabbath day. Did you know that? Can't press buttons on an elevator on the Sabbath day. Why? Because that's work. So they, they rigged a few of the elevators to where it would stop on every floor, open the doors, and it would close the doors and go to the next floor so that way you don't have to do any work. It took a lot longer to get where you had to be, but you didn't work. The Pharisees tried to trip up Jesus one time. They're like, hey, Jesus, like a couple times. They're like, hey, you're picking grains on the Sabbath. He's like, didn't you know that the Sabbath was not made for man, but man was made for the Sabbath? Or man was not made for the Sabbath, but Sabbath was made for man? He's like, so like, didn't you ever see that David and his people picked grains? Like they ate on the Sabbath. It's no big deal. I'm like, huh, we didn't think about that. There was another time, like, Jesus said, well, what if, and this is Luke chapter 6, what if, like, your animal falls in the ditch on the Sabbath? According to Sabbath law, you can't go save that animal. You cannot go rescue it. You can't do that good thing. It's like, but I tell you, I am good, and I'm going to do that good thing. 
John chapter 10, a little bit later in this chapter here, Jesus says that he shows us many good works because he's seen them from the Father. Acts chapter 10, verse 38, Jesus, it says that they quote Jesus saying that Jesus went around doing good. That's all that he does. He can't be anything else but good. I want to tell you that Jesus made a commitment to you in being the good shepherd. And it is time to follow this good shepherd. Jesus, thank you for today. And I thank you for these moments together. God, I thank you for our people. But I thank you more that you are good and that you are our good shepherd. Jesus, you love us even when we're dumb. You're attentive to us even when we're spiraling out of control. Jesus, you comfort us when we are hurt and and need you. Oh, Jesus, you rescued us. And you continually do that when we get ourselves into messes. May we trust you. May we commit to you like you've committed to us. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's message. We hope that it was encouraging for you and that you have a great week. God bless.